Good morning, everyone. The perils of service leading when you're up behind the guitar is not reading the first line of service leading, which says, say your name and welcome people. Um, I think you all know me today, but I'm Dan Bidwell, the senior minister here. So good to have you at church. As we said, um, I, was, I really wanted to preach from the floor today, just since we're a bit of a smaller church, but I think it will ruin our, our video. So I'm going to have to stand behind the pulpit. Uh, I apologize for my cup of tea. I've had a, a bit of a croaky voice this week, um, but hopefully that doesn't prevent us from enjoying God's Word. A um, little guessing game for you. Uh, it's one of the most famous buildings in the world. Uh, it is, has an instantly recognizable silhouette. It adorns tea towels, bottle openers, souvenir sweatshirts. You can find it in snow domes. Uh, you can build one from your own Lego. Ken Doan, uh, artist Ken Doan, this is for those of us who are a little bit older, put it on uh, Duna covers and bikinis. And if you search the hashtag on Instagram, you'll see over a million posts. And a few de- days ago, it turned 50 years old. I'm talking about... The Sydney Opera House. Um, is there anybody who's never been to the Sydney Opera House? I'm going to look over this way to some of our... You guys have all been. Oh, Lydia hasn't been yet. You're, it will be so wonderful on the day you get to go. Stephen, you've already been? And Sophia? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, did it, I didn't look over this way. Has anybody else never been to the Opera House? <gasps> okay, Barry and Rhonda. All right. I know somebody who's going to get some tickets. Um, No, Rhonda says no. Um, The Sydney Opera House, what a wonderful building. Uh, I read the other day, actually, it said said when they designed it, they designed it, even though it would be ridiculously expensive and and large, they wanted it to be a building for everybody that you could all afford to go to. And I I have wonderful memories as a school kid of being taken on buses or trains to plays and concerts in the Opera House. What a wonderful thing. Um, Sydney Opera House, I think, is remarkable in so many ways, not least of which is the tenacity of um, the Premier of New South Wales who helped, the, uh, helped it go from dream to reality, Joe Carl, um, like the Car Hill, Car Hill Freeway, Carl Freeway, K Hill Expressway, that's right. Well, that guy, um, there were so many obstacles along the way. I mean, the cost was so big and people said, why should the taxpayers pay for this? And then there's the avant-garde designs, very controversial. And then there was engineering difficulties. Apparently, they thought it was going to be a beautiful Sydney sandstone underneath Benelong Point and it was squishy, slushy rubbish. And so they had to put down 700 concrete um, pillars all a metre around um, they had to sink 700 of them, fill the whole area in with concrete. Uh, then they started building it, not even knowing quite how the engineering would work on the sails. Um, so they started not quite knowing how they'd finish. Quite brave. And that man who'd been the driver of the project, the Premier Joe Carr, just seven months after they turned soil, seven months into the build, he falls sick one day in Parliament and he dies the next day. From his deathbed, uh, he spoke to Norman Ryan, who was the Minister for Public Works, and he said to him, you've got to make this happen. Don't let it fail. And it started a process that was irreversible. The momentum had begun. And that's confidence, isn't it? Confidence to carry a project that is so controversial that people say it's not going to work or it's not worth it. Um, Carl had confidence that the end product... The end result would make all of the difficulties worthwhile. 
And he was right. I mean, his belief in the project produced something extraordinary. Uh, and in Paul's letter to the Philippians, which we'll be looking at this term, Paul is convinced that the end result of our faith far outweighs any difficulties that we might experience right now. In Christ, God is doing something extraordinary in our lives, and we need to trust Him no matter what circumstances come our way. And so Philippians is this book of joy, it's a book of hope, it's, it's a book that inspires our confidence in Christ. So why don't we pray that God would speak to us through Paul's words to the Philippian church now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us today through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Will you teach us to have great confidence in you and in the work that you've begun in us through Jesus Christ? And we pray in his saving name. Amen. Well, uh, the book of Philippians, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Um, uh, Philippi is a part of Greece on the mainland, Macedonia today. Uh, and this Philippian church was a church that Paul had planted himself about 10 years earlier, probably around 50 AD. And uh, you can read about how he planted that church in the book of Acts in chapter 16. Uh, but now 10 years later, Paul is in prison. He's under Roman guard. He's, uh, I think, attached to a Roman guard 24 hours a day with a, a chain that's about three foot long. There's a word in the Greek that, that describes is the name of that chain. And he's awaiting execution, we believe. And he writes this letter to, to this church that he'd planted, this church that he loves. Uh, and this is different from some of his other letters. There's, there's no heresies to address in the Philippian church. There's no behavioral problems or worship problems. Actually, Paul just wants to encourage them in their faith. He wants to encourage them to live out their faith in a culture that is hostile to Jesus. And um, you know, this is a theme that might be a little bit relevant to us as well. So let's dive in at verse 1. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, back in New Testament times, probably preaching to the choir here, but uh, instead of writing the name at the end of the letter, they wrote their name at the beginning, just so you know. Uh, and so this is a letter from Paul and Timothy. Um, Timothy, you probably know a little bit about Paul, but Timothy was Paul's protege. Uh, he was this young man who was born Greek, uh, not, not born a Jew like Paul. He was born Greek. So he's the perfect person to help Paul plant churches in the Greek-speaking world. And Philippi, of course, was in the Greek-speaking world. And have a look at what Paul says about himself in the first line, about himself and Timothy. See, despite Paul's leading role in the evangelism of Asia and Europe, even though he's this church planter and pioneer, and even though he's kind of really the leader of the, the Gentile church, Paul thinks of himself very humbly. He thinks of himself as a servant, He's a servant. Paul and Timothy, they were servants of Jesus Christ, just like Jesus himself was a servant. Uh, Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. That's Mark 10.45. And as Christians, we're also to follow Jesus and to follow Paul and Timothy in becoming servants and thinking of ourselves as servants. Now, the letter is addressed to all God's holy people. Uh, all God's holy people in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Um, the version that uh, Ross read before, it says, to the saints in Philippi. Uh, 
the same word as holy in the original language. Uh, now, I know there's some connotations with that word saints. You know, we often think of a saint as a person who's done a miracle. Uh, or we think of saints as particularly godly Christians. Um, but here Paul tells us that actually all God's people in Christ Jesus are holy. I don't think he was just talking to a certain section of the church. He was talking to all of God's people who are holy. Uh, that is, when we are in Christ, when we have our faith in Christ, Jesus makes us saints. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross to, be, uh, to bring forgiveness. And, and I think that's why Paul also starts his letter with this reminder of grace and peace. He always says that, grace and peace. He reminds us of the grace and peace that we have with God. We have grace and peace through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And this grace, this story of God's grace poured out upon us, it means a new story from, uh, for us, a new story apart from our sin. And we're going to think about sin in a little while, but isn't it great to imagine a new story for your life where sin is not part of the story? Uh, Paul begins all of his letters with this reminder of a new story and, and the new life and the new calling that we receive when we follow Jesus, that we've been set apart, made holy when we put our trust in Jesus. And sometimes it's worth reminding ourselves of the same. So what would be different about your life if you started to think of yourself as a saint? What would be different if you thought, I'm a saint? What would be different about your life if you thought of yourself as a servant? Interesting, isn't it? That's the first big idea, servants and saints. Second big idea, uh, we have a little guessing game. I'm going to say something and then you say the answer. So if I say Butch Cassidy, you say? Sundance Kid, good job. I say Bonnie, you say? Clyde. I say Fred Astaire, you say? Ginger Rogers, one for the ballet fans. I say Margot Fontaine. You say Rudolph Nureyev. Well done. One for the Gen Xers, I say Han Solo, you say? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not unfair. Uh, yeah, okay, Chewbacca, I wrote, I wrote Princess Leia, but let's go. One for the Millennials, I say Beyonce, you say? Jay-Z. Uh, one for the youth, I say Taylor Swift, you say? Travis Kelsey, well done. What was the point of that little guessing game? These were famous partnerships, famous partnerships. Uh, and so this is our second big idea, partners in the gospel. Paul says when he thinks of the church in Philippi, he's overjoyed at their partnership in the gospel. Have a look at verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, do you know Gary Chapman's five love languages? Does anybody know that? Oh, he's not many. Oh, a few hands. Some. I think uh, Paul's love language is words of affirmation. I think he loves to pump people up and to encourage them. And uh, I love how he encourages this church in all the things that they're doing well. And so when Paul thinks of this church in Philippi, he thanks God for them every time he remembers them in prayer. And you get the impression that Paul prays for them a lot. You know, he says, whenever I think of you, I pray for you. 
and he prays for them. It tells us in verse 7 because he loves them. Have a look at verse 7. I haven't got it on the screen, but he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And then in verse 8, he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves this church deeply. And he loves what God is doing in their midst and what God is doing in their individual lives. Um, the days that Paul spent in Philippi, he was only there about three months. When, pardon me, when he initially planted the church, only there about three months. But it wasn't like a long weekend or a little holiday in Greece for him. Um, what happened is that was the beginning of a significant and ongoing pastoral relationship. Paul loves this church and the people in it with a deep affection. And it causes him great joy. And you see that in verse 4, in all of my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy. Um, as we read on in the book of Philippians, joy is this recurrent theme. Uh, the word joy, rejoicing, I think it occurs 27 times in these four chapters. And for Paul, the gospel at work in people's hearts, it's a great cause for joy. It's a cause for him to celebrate. Paul overflows with joy and thankfulness even when his own circumstances are so terrible, here he is in chains. And so we see a, a hint of that in verse 7, where Paul is in chains. Further on in chapter 1, he'll, he'll describe it even more clearly. He writes from this house imprisonment where he's awaiting death. Uh, he was probably there for two years, uh, and probably not long after he wrote this, uh, he was executed by Emperor Nero, martyred in about AD 61 or 2. And so Paul writes from prison and he's considering his impending death and despite all of those choices all of those circumstances sorry Paul makes it his choice to choose joy is that an interesting idea making the choice to choose joy he chooses to be joyful he chooses to be thankful he chooses to pray it doesn't matter what's happening in his life those external circumstances are not a reason he takes his joy in what God is doing through the gospel so come back to verse 3. Paul thanks God every time he remembers the Philippians and he always prays with joy. And why is, the, why is he so joyful? The reason is their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the Christian faith, you see, it's not just a receiving faith. It's not just a passive faith. It's not like a membership where you, where you kind of sign the box or you tick the box, or you pray the prayer once and boom, you're done, you're, you're soldier in heaven. Um, that's not, that's not how it works. It's a partnership. When Christ, this partnership where Christ acts as an agent of change in our lives, and then he makes us an agent of change to use in other people's lives. So have a think about how it worked. Um, Jesus comes from heaven. He shares the good news about how to be saved. And then he recruits 12 disciples who help him with a mission. And then after his resurrection, Jesus commissions all believers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples. And so Peter goes first. He plants a church amongst the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And then Paul goes and plants amongst the non-Jewish people, amongst the Gentiles. He plants in Asia and Europe, all these little baby churches. And the point of the baby churches is not just that they stay there, but actually that they grow and then replicate. And that's the way that God has sent the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the principle is that God uses his church and the people of his church to share the message of Jesus in the world. We are partners 
in Jesus' plan to take the, gospels to the, end, to the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, the Christian faith isn't passive. It's an invitation to join in gospel partnership that Jesus started two years ago. That gospel partnership, that gospel work, that great commission. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And so Paul prays for the church in Philippi. He's full of thankfulness and joy because of their partnership. Verse 5. They have partnered in the gospel from the first day until now. Can I just say I'm so thankful for the way that you are partners in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel. Ever since I first heard about the little church in Robertson, it's probably six or seven months ago, one of the things that struck me was, and the people who selected me for the church, uh, the, the, the choosing team, was their zeal for the gospel. And since arriving at the church, I think I've, I've just seen the same thing, your zeal for the gospel. I've, I've met in this church passionate evangelists. I've met passionate disciples. I've met people who are passionate supporters of youth and kids' ministry. I've met people who are passionate supporters of mission, passionate carers for those who are homebound and sick. I've met people who are passionate partners in the gospel. You are a church that partners in the gospel in so many ways, in organizations outside this church too. Um, that is a striking and wonderful and amazing thing. And I'm so thankful for the work that Jesus is doing in you in that. And, and I look forward to us continuing as partners in the gospel in years to come and seeing how Jesus will use us together as we seek to obey his great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of, of all nations. So thank you. I've only known you for four months, some of you even less. I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel and I'm looking forward to what God might do over the next however many years he keeps me here. Um, there you go. Number three, confident in Christ. Third big idea. Uh, back in Sydney, I worked in an inner city church and uh, I had a friend who was a former drug addict. He was probably actually a current drug addict. And he was a man who'd struggled with homelessness and mental illness for many years. He was also a Christian guy with this beautiful faith, a beautiful but complicated. Uh, we talked about his faith a lot. He, he was a profoundly damaged guy but also saved in Christ. And uh, anyway, I was walking with him one day up the road and uh, he, he, he drops down, he picks something up off the ground. It's a little blister pack of pills. And there's probably one or two pills. He just pops them and throws the thing away. Kept walking. It didn't even blink. For him, it was just his natural reaction. You see pills, you take them. And um, I was pretty horrified and that's why I tell the story. Um, I was a little bit horrified even more though to think of it in this context despite my horror it occurred to me that we're all a little bit like my friend we are a mix of beautiful faith and perplexing addiction to the sins that harm us isn't that true we're like we're like faithful and we're flawed at the same time and we can't help ourselves and some days our failures and our flaws they rob us of confidence but Paul reminds us of a beautiful gospel truth and it's there in verse 6 he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, Paul reminds us here that if your faith is in Christ Jesus, you can be confident that God will finish what he started in you. And it might feel slow. And you might feel like you fail more than you succeed. But God's not done with you yet. What God starts, God finishes and you can be confident of that. That's what 
Paul tells us, and that's what Jesus tells us. This is uh, what theologians call the doctrine of perseverance, the idea that Jesus will never let you go. He will hold on to you tight. He will never let you go. He will never let you slip. He will never let you fail to finish the good work that he began in you. It's John chapter 6, verse 39. There's plenty of other verses too. And so on the days when you feel like your sins are too much, on the days when you, see, you feel like you are overwhelmed in your addictions, on the days when you feel like you are failing, I want you to remind yourself, His grace is sufficient for me. And when your sin is overwhelming, come to the cross and give it all to Jesus. Because you can be confident that when you do that, He's at work in you. He's correcting you. He's rebuking you. He's refining and sanctifying you. He's making you holy, little by little because he moves you ever closer to glory. Fourth big idea, bearing fruit. Um, I've lived in a lot of houses, and, um, and the wardens, they may like to listen or not listen. Everywhere I go, I plant fruit trees. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, I have big plans next door. I'm gonna have a 10-acre orchard on my one-acre property. Um, big dreams, me. Uh, uh, I always plant fruit trees, partly because I like gardening, but, but I think also because... Fruit is this beautiful metaphor for the growing Christian life. Um, in the middle of COVID, the first COVID summer, I was living in California in a tiny little town, a bit like Robbo. I had to walk about 300 meters from my house to church and there was a creek in the middle called Hopper Creek. And on the edge of Hopper Creek, there was a fig tree with fat, fat black figs. Delicious. And so I ate the figs that summer and I thought, this is great, I'll wait till next summer. And then I thought, do you know what, I'm... I want to grow that fig. And so I took some cuttings from the fig and uh, you know, I looked it up on the internet because really I don't know what I'm doing. But I, I, I cut them and I put them in these plastic bags. I wrapped them up in some wet paper towel. And then after about a month or so, there were these little roots coming out the bottom. And then I moved them to some seed raising potting mix and, and, uh, and the same thing happened. Those roots grew and they got a little bit bigger and, and some leaves came out and the next year there was little baby fruits on them and in the third year we planted them out in the playground at the church where I was working and uh, God willing in a few years time that little thing that we planted will have fruit and the kids will be able to enjoy it. They'll be able to taste and see that it is good. Christian life is a little bit like growing a fig from cuttings. Um, it can take time to see real changes, but under the right conditions, it will grow. Just a little bit by a little bit until the fruit is evident to all. And, and so what does Christian growth look like? Uh, what should we be praying for and what fruit should we be cultivating? Well, have a look at uh, verses 9 to 11. This is what Paul prays for the church in Philippi. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul prays, I think, for three kinds of fruit. First, he prays for love. Uh, one of the biggest distinctives of Christians ought to be our love. Shouldn't it be? We should look different than the world. We should be full of love. Our love for God, our love for one another, even our love for our enemies. And we're going to think more about what love looks like in the coming weeks. But for now, it might be helpful to reflect at home this week. How are you going with loving God? And with loving those around you, loving your neighbours? 
perhaps loving your enemies? How is God's love shaping you when things are difficult? How is the gospel shaping me in love? Second thing Paul prays for is that their love might abound more and more in depth of knowledge and depth of insight. Um, I pray a prayer for our church every week, um, sometimes a couple of times a week, um, that we would be a church with a hunger for the scriptures. Uh, if you read Robbo Daily Life last term, that prayer was in there. Um, Robbo Daily Life, there's a, a couple of copies of it outside today. If you're really desperate, we can staple one and fold it for you as well. But um, it's really wonderful, um, this prayer, that our church would be a church with a hunger for the scriptures and a hunger to know God through his word, hunger to grow in our knowledge of God and in, and in all of that. And I pray it not so that we'd be a puffed up church, because I don't want us to be a puffed up church, but actually so that the scriptures would shape our conversations and our prayers and our community. Because when we're soaked in the scriptures, they, they help us to know how to live. They know, help us to know how to manage difficult relationships and situations and how to overcome the pressures and stresses of this world. They speak into life issues. And this kind of knowledge that we get from the scriptures helps us to discern what is best. Helps us to teach, uh, teaches us how to live obedient lives that honor Jesus. Um, there are lots of opportunities here at church to grow in that kind of knowledge. Um, coming to church every week is a huge part of it. But, um, but be part of something more. You know, read your Bible at home. If you, if you need help with that, come and ask me. Uh, join a small group or Bible study. Uh, one, of the, you know, one of the Know Your Bible groups is great or one of the other groups. If you're one of the teens, keep coming to youth. Don't stop. When you turn 18, you leave school. Don't stop coming just because you've finished. If you go off to uni, go, go to church somewhere else. Be part of another community of faith, community of Christian faith. And if you need help in, in what the next step is for you, come and talk to me. I'd love to get you on that growth track. Because what we want to do is make sure we bear fruit down the, down, the, down the pathway, isn't it? And that's the third thing. Paul prays that they would bear fruit. And um, they'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I'm sure this is the same kind of fruit as we see in Galatians 5, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and I think I missed one. Goodness, kindness, something. I've actually seen all of those fruits here at church. I've only been here four months. It's such a joy to see those fruit in you. Um, it's wonderful uh, to see those fruits of the Spirit evident in the church. Um, God is at work in you, and I'm confident that He will complete the work that He began in you. Uh, it's so good. He began it way before I got here, and uh, He'll finish it even if I'm here or if I'm not. Um, because God is the constant. Uh, he's the one who grows us. Uh, as Paul said uh, to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, well, Paul plants the seed and Apollos waters it, but God makes it grow. God is making us grow as a church. We're to trust him in that. He's gonna keep this good work going. He'll bring it to completion. So why don't we uh, finish by praying that God would keep growing us as a church, bearing fruit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you would give us great confidence in Christ, that you are making us holy, you are sanctifying us. You are taking us from glory to glory. You are changing us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, help us not to resist you, but to seek you, to pray for you, to ask for knowledge, to have depth of insight, 
help us to grow in love so that we can take the message of Jesus in our everyday life, wherever it is that we go, so that people will see Jesus and be saved. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing.